Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. Well, hey everyone, Mountain Park family, uh, those of you who are just tuning in for the first time, wherever you're watching this or listening to this from, I am excited to spend these few minutes with you. My name is Andrew and I am the lead pastor here at Mountain Park Church and we are in our third week of this series, this fall series for 2020 called Restart. And the idea came for the series earlier on, later on in the summer, actually, um, just recognizing the reality for lots of us. By this point in the year, some of us want to just hit a big fat restart button on the year or on what's going on in our home life or our work life, all of that stuff. And I actually think um, one of the things that the Spirit of God is saying to us is it's time to hit a restart in our spiritual life and in our, our, not only our personal practice of faith life, but just in the life of the corporate body, the church, this has been an incredible opportunity. You know, in March, we basically, everybody had to kind of shut the doors and figure out what was uh, new and normal. And this has given us an incredible opportunity to reassess and reevaluate um, the heart of God and, and invite him to kind of speak into our normal, best practiced um, life as the church in North America. And so this restart is a restart on many foundational levels. So far, we've already talked about um, the model of Jesus that the Bible gives us. So Jesus gives us and the Bible through the New Testament, well, through the whole thing, but through the New Testament and the life of Jesus and the book of Acts, the Bible gives us a model for what should be normative in the Christian life. And it forces us to wrestle with this question, if that's supposed to be normal, and I look at my life and it looks nothing like that, then where are the problems? Where are the inconsistencies? And we're, we're actually walking through the process of just trying to talk through that and address that. And so we've already talked about sort of the model of Jesus for us. He's left us one. And we've already talked about the manifestation of God in us. Not only did Jesus give us a model, to live by that, you know, that should be normal for us uh, who follow him, but he's given us the manifestation, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the same presence that raised him from the dead lives in us. We've been filled with the Holy Spirit. We've been uh, seated with Christ in heavenly places. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. We've been uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And what we're talking about today is, is the reality that we've been gifted by the Holy Spirit to accomplish the mission of Jesus through us. So in scripture, we have the model of Jesus for us, we see through scripture and through surrendering to Jesus that we have the manifestation of God in us, the very presence of God, not a different kind of Holy Spirit than Jesus, not a fraction of the percentage that Jesus had, but the fullness of Christ 
living in us. And we have a mission from God that requires us to actually manifest the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Uh, if you've got a Bible, let's just kind of open it up and turn to the book of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament. We've read this a couple of times, but we're gonna come back to this again because this is sort of like ground zero for the disciples. This is Jesus after his resurrection, just before you know he ascends in bodily form up into heaven and he uh, sort of releases his disciples on the earth and the church uh, is about to be birthed and explode on the earth. This is what Jesus says just before that. All authority has been given to me. Matthew 28, all right, we're gonna start in 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. So again, we're going back to Jesus is saying, look, go back to the model that I gave you. Go back to what I taught you. I'm not inviting you into this mission to do one thing or two things, but I'm actually inviting you to do everything that I modeled for you in scripture and in life. He says, I, um, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the earth. That's the commissioning found in Matthew 28. Then uh, we see a, a similar commissioning in Mark chapter 16. And Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. So again, Jesus is saying, look, I've modeled this already. I've demonstrated to you what it looks like when the kingdom of God is breaking in in the present on the earth. And those things, we've already talked about those, but those things that Jesus is talking about are things like the miraculous taking place, things like healing, things like the proclamation of the good news, the salvation that comes through Jesus. Things like deliverance from unclean and evil spirits. Um, Jesus restoring the heart and soul of people, restoring them physically through healing, uh, demonstrating the reality of the kingdom of God on the earth. That's what the Bible says the signs of the kingdom of God are. And Jesus says, these signs will accompany you who believe, okay? So again, so we have a model from Jesus, the manifestation of God in us and the mission of God through us. We've talked about some of the spiritual gifts already, but we are going to jump right back into the middle of them and talk about um, what I have listed here as the seventh one. So the spiritual gifts are found in Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, um, the application of those in uh, 1 Corinthians 13 and 14, and some gifts are found in Romans 12. So let's just hop back into 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 4. We'll just recap that. Now there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God produces each gift in each person. 
A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good, all right? So we covered what that means, all of that, last week. So if you need a refresher on what the gifts are and why we have them and what God is trying to accomplish through them, then go back and listen to that one from last week. He goes on to say, to one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit, to another a message of knowledge. We covered those by the same spirit to another faith, by the same spirit to another gifts of healing, by one, uh, by the one spirit to another performing of miracles, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits. All right, and so here's where we're gonna pick things up today. And to another different kinds of tongues. All right, so by far, by a landslide, this is the most controversial of all the spiritual gifts listed in the Bible. This has caused uh, the greatest amount of animosity and infighting in the church, the greatest amount of ridicule and skepticism. This uh, particular gift here that Paul is talking about has been the source of great um, confusion and conflict. And I think there's actually a real reason for that happening and a real strategy of the devil in that happening and causing that confusion. But let's just walk through as best we can. And I, I just wanna say at the outset here, um, I am not uh, presenting to you, um, you know, an argument here uh, for, um, to just continue to delve into. Uh, I'm not here to argue whether tongues or whether the supernatural gifts died with the apostles, uh, I believe firmly, um, and nobody's gonna change my mind on this, I believe firmly the message of scripture and the witness of scripture is not that the supernatural gifts died with the apostles, but they actually continue on that God still uses them. And so I'm not here to debate whether or not tongues is an actual gift. I believe and we believe here that it is a legitimate gift that God gives to the body. And so we're gonna talk about exactly what it is. Paul says this about tongues in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 18. You can just uh, flip over to that for a moment. He says this, let me just find it here. He says, Paul says this about tongues. I thank God that I speak in other tongues more than all of you. <laughs> First of all, the very first thing we have to recognize about tongues, all right? So Paul is a theological genius. He is an intellectual heavyweight. He's probably the greatest missionary church planter the world has ever seen. Paul is no slouch when it comes to his intellect. He's no slouch when it comes to uh, his mind being sharp and used by God. He's no slouch in these areas. And yet he has a view of tongues that is one of respect, value, and honor. So often one of the first sort of slights when it comes to the gift of tongues is that it's somehow um, less intelligent, that it's for like, the lower people. So the people that are great theological minds or great intellectual minds or great philosophical minds, 
there's this idea that somehow the gift of tongues is like it resides in the basement <laughs> of spiritual gifts, and there's a disdain for it sometimes with some people. And yet here we have the greatest theological mind ever, aside from Jesus, and philosopher, church planner, strategist, all of that stuff who says that I actually thank God that I exercise this gift more than all of you. Paul held tongues in a very high and esteemed place. Paul was proud to say that his spiritual life was filled with the exercise and use of singing, praising, and praying in tongues. He wasn't embarrassed by it. It's the very first thing that I want to just um, kind of draw to your attention. So often this gift, again, it's been so distorted and twisted and sometimes abused and misunderstood and attacked that, that we've relegated it to this gift that so many people are ashamed to even acknowledge they possess or that they, they function in. And yet Paul is saying, I'm proud of this. I want to celebrate it. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to pretend like it doesn't exist. I want you to know, actually, this is a vital part of my spiritual life. The gift of tongues is God's idea, and it's his gift. Again, coming back to our teaching from last week, the spiritual gifts aren't things that a God out there somewhere or up there in heaven kind of threw over the balcony of heaven and give to us. They're not things. The spiritual gifts are literally God himself manifesting in and through us. So the gift of tongues is literally God himself manifesting himself in and through the person through whom um, you know, this gift is being exercised. And Paul recognized its value. So what are the different components or aspects of tongues? Number one, uh, we see this in Acts chapter two. Uh, it's the ability to speak in a language that you have not learned, okay? So this is what we see um, in Acts two uh, with Peter and the uh, disciples, the 120 that are in this room. They come out and they're speaking in a language they don't know. They're speaking in all kinds of languages they don't know. And all of these Jews from all over the world who had come for Passover hear these men and women speaking in their own language. And they're like, what in the world? How did they know this language? One of the, um, one of the components of the gift of tongues is the ability to receive and communicate an immediate message of God through a language that you have not learned in the natural. All right, one thing I wanna make clear with this, and this is a, a subtle distinction, but it's important. When the people in Acts 2, well, let's just turn there so that we can read it straight out of the Bible, all right? Um, it says, starting in verse five, now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, that's the sound of rushing wind that uh, that came in this prayer meeting. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Now, here's what they were speaking. So often we get this confused that they weren't um, giving them a, a doctoral thesis on, uh, you know, on, um, 
on salvation or uh, on justification or on some kind of the theological issues. Here's what they were actually doing. Um, they were speaking in all of these different languages. The people were astounded and amazed, saying, look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and all the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongue. So what are they doing? They're speaking in languages they don't know and actually worshiping God. They're declaring the glory of God. They're not offering the four spiritual laws here. They're actually, what they're expressing is worship to God. First and foremost, tongues in all of its different manifestations, the three of them we'll talk about, is first and foremost an expression of intercession and worship and adoration. That's the purpose. That's what they were doing. The second way that tongues are used is to speak in a language that's not English, that you don't know, that you don't understand directly to God. All right? So this is an unknown heavenly language that um, you're not aware of the meaning of. And there's two applications for this. There's a corporate application in, you know, a, a service on Sunday or in the corporate life of the church, and there's a private application. And Paul talks bo about both of these in Scripture. If you want to understand the corporate application of it, you would look to 1 Corinthians 14, and that's where Paul is saying, look, um, you know, it's not helpful if a whole bunch of people in church on Sunday uh, just start standing up and blurting out, you know, uh, stuff in tongues, because nobody is going to know what they're saying. It doesn't actually edify the whole body. So that's why Paul says, look, if you're going to give a message of tongues, there needs to be interpretation in the corporate context. Why? So that everyone can be edified. Then when that interpretation is giving, it actually elevates that gift of tongues right next to the gift of prophecy. It's literally a direct word from God that bypasses the intellect of the mind and comes through the mouth. And Paul is saying, look, like you should practice this, but there needs to be kind of guardrails. You need to kind of put your seatbelt on. And it's in this context that, you know, Paul says things like the spirit is subject to the prophet, meaning you always have control. You have a free will that you get to exercise. You always have control. You can never stand up and say, oh, I, I had no control over this. You always have a choice. And so Paul is saying, you know, there's a, there's a context a healthy context for the use of tongues in the corporate gathering, but that, that, that needs to have the interpretation to go along with it so that the whole church is edified. And people aren't just kind of sitting there going, whoa, this is weird, or new people coming in for the first time going, what, what is going on here? doesn't make any sense to me. And so Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 is giving some parameters, but there's also a personal prayer language application for this. And we find this also in 1 Corinthians 14 and Ephesians 6, 18 and Romans 8, 26 and 27. 
And this is speech that is unknown to the speaker, all right? Speech that's addressed to God and is fundamentally worship and intercession, all right? 1 Corinthians 14, 2, for this For the person who speaks in another tongue, this is Paul saying, is not speaking to people, but to God. All right, so again, this is in particular in that private prayer closet setting. You're not speaking to other people, but to God. Since no one understands him, he speaks mysteries in the spirit. All right, so Paul is about to contrast, again, the proper use of this in Uh, in context. So Paul is saying, look, like, recognize that there's an incredible value. And Paul says that I pray in tongues more than all of you. And I'm proud of it. My life, literally, Paul is saying, is saturated with singing in tongues, praying in tongues. And, um, you know, in my private life. And I'm doing that as an act of worship. And it's edifying to me. But if I'm going to bring that into the corporate sphere or context, There needs to be interpretation with it so that everybody can join in and actually be a part of that. So uh, there's a personal prayer language that Paul is talking about, which is directed to God. And this prayer language happens in and by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit through our spirit. And Paul actually says, you know, when I'm praying like this, my mind is unfruitful. It's actually the Holy Spirit of God bypassing our mind. And some people hear that and go, whoa, 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 you can't do that. But it's actually a practice of Paul's, a great intellect and theologian, a great thinker said, there's there's times in my walk when I actually, it's more fruitful to bypass my cognitive rational thinking and express worship and adoration to God in that way. And he says that there, these are mysteries, that the point is not that you understand what you're saying, but it's that your spirit is connecting with the spirit of God and communicating, communing with him. So here's a big question, all right? So we have these applications of tongues. Number one, uh, this application of actually speaking in a language that you don't know or haven't learned an earthly language, and expressing and communicating things that glorify God, that worship him, that exalt him. And I've known people who have been in situations where this has happened, and this is not altogether uncommon in mission contexts all over the world. Interestingly enough, there's people who, who want to make this the, the primary and dominant you know, meaning and use of tongues, but the only time it's mentioned in that context is in that second chapter of Acts, all right? So that's number one, a human language that you haven't learned, God uses and bypasses, you know, your ability to learn it and uses it. Number two is a heavenly language that you don't understand that is used in the corporate setting with interpretation of tongues, So somebody actually who the Spirit of God, somebody who um, the Holy Spirit reveals to them, here's what's being said, that person then translates for everybody and the body of Christ is built up. That's the second application. And the third one is your personal prayer life. So here's the the million dollar question. And, And just so that you know, I have my own personal thoughts and convictions on this, but I'm not here to definitively answer this for you, but just to offer 
kind of a pastoral thought and heart on this. Are tongues then for everyone? So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 4, he says this, the person who speaks in another tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. In verse 5, he says, I wish all of you spoke in other tongues, but even more that you prophesied. So is Paul indicating there that the gift of tongues is actually available to everyone? Paul, um, there, there is an indication that, that there might be hints of that is in fact what he's saying under the surface there. In 1 Corinthians uh, 14, 18, and 19, Paul thanked God for tongues in his own prayer life. Again, he's esteeming it, he's revering it, he's valuing it. And uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, 39, for all of you naysayers, this is exactly what Paul says. Let me just read that to you. He says, so then my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in other tongues but everything is to be done decently and in order. So Paul expressly forbids us from squelching that gift and for kicking it to the side. And yet there are vast swaths of the Christian world who do just that. Um, and I would humbly submit that they're directly walking in defiance of scripture when they do that. Paul uses the I wish, I want terminology in other ways in Scripture that apply to all people and only certain people. So when Paul says, I wish that you all would speak in tongues, some people say that's a definitive answer. Yes, Paul is indicating that everyone can. And some people uh, would say, no, Paul uses that language of I want or I wish in other contexts where it's clear he's not speaking to everyone. So there's both that are used. And we have to, again, kind of weigh this in Scripture. We've got to kind of work our way through this and, and reconcile some of these things. Paul could be implying that it's available to all, but it's not an emphatic statement that it is, in fact. So where, where do we land with this? As we are processing what to believe about Scripture, we need to, again, understand that um, Theological, intellectual, conceptual knowledge and understanding only go so far. We need to ask a few more questions. So, you know, one of the questions that I would ask in the use of this gift is who loses or who stands to lose more if Christians exercised the gift of tongues in their life like the Apostle Paul did? Is it the Christian that would actually lose by exercising this gift of tongues? Or is it actually the kingdom of darkness that would actually ultimately be the biggest loser, the biggest one on the outs? Since this is a heavenly language that's you know, it's, Paul seems to indicate is divinely understood by God, but maybe essentially by no one else, not even the kingdom of darkness. So if we forbid the use of this or lock it down so tight that it has no practical application and the believer then is not edified by it, who loses? 
Well, the follower of Jesus loses because he's, he's not actually stepping into something that can build up his faith. And if we, uh, you know, blatantly, uh, you know, uh, reject its use, who wins? Well, the enemy wins because we have actually squelched one of the gifts that Paul says specifically, don't forbid it. And so as we're trying to process and understand through Scripture these things, we need to, we need to um, ask some further questions. Where do you stand with this? I would say, again, this is my, my pastoral heart in this. And my experience in life would say, look, I'm not going to definitively say from Scripture one way or another, but my hunch is that this is a gift, actually, that the whole church has access to. Why? Because it's meant for the edifying and building up of the believer. Paul said he wished everyone did it. Paul bragged about how often he did it and how, what a significant role it played in his life. My question is, if God is so good, um, why would he want to withhold something like that that could actually bring transformation to your life. Again, I'm not giving you a definitive, you know, theological statement of yes or no. I'm just saying practically in my life, it's made, a, it's had a huge impact on me. And I think that the door is at least open, at least open to consider that God might want to actually make this available to everyone. Let's keep moving on here. This uh, 1 Corinthians 27, all right, um, 12, verse 27 to 31. This is what um, Paul is saying. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it, and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, leading, various kinds of tongues, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? No. Do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. So Paul is uh, leading us into a couple of other gifts here. Number uh, nine on my list. Um, so we've just covered different kinds of tongues, and we've covered sort of the interpretation of tongues that Paul talks about uh, here. Um, and we're on now to the gift of helping, all right? So again, I just want to bring us back to this, this, this baseline that these are spiritual gifts. Paul isn't talking about people who naturally just like to help other people. This is a, a spiritually uh, fueled capacity to help. And there's a difference between the gift of helping and serving. So I'll talk about them as two sides of the same coin. The gift of helping is actually a gift or a special ability that God gives certain people to invest their skills and capacity in the building up of someone else. So these are the people who come underneath other uh, people in the body of Christ and say, hey, I see what you're trying to do there. I see the calling that God has given you on your life. I see sort of this mission that he's given you. And I actually want to come underneath you and add uh, 
to what you're doing through the use of my own gifting. It's the special ability that God gives certain people to invest their talents and their treasure and their uh, gifting in the ministry or life of other members of the body of Christ so that they can be more effective. This is a spiritual gift that some people have to recognize someone else sort of in the community, in the body of Christ that say, look, I see the call of God on your life. I see the anointing that's on your life and I'm gonna come up under you and help you. I'm going to use the gifts that I have, the resources I have, the capacity I have to actually uh, bolster you and help you um, achieve sort of the life calling that God has given you. So the gift of helps is that. Now, we don't wanna confuse it with the gift of service. The gift of service is a spiritual capacity that some people have to recognize the general needs in any given situation. It's the spiritual desire to actually wanna come in and lend a hand here and lend a hand there and, and, and bring their gifting and their talent here. There are people that see you know, uh, the different areas of deficiency or, or what could be done better in a certain situation and have the joy and the, the um, you know, the, yeah, the joy to come in and say, look, I can help you with that. I wanna serve what's happening. And, and I'm not going to do it in just this one way, but I'm gonna recognize the needs all around me. And God has wired me and given me a, dr a driving passion and desire to just be helpful to just lend a hand where I need to and to lend, you know, a different skill sets of mine where I need to. And this is the gift of serving. It's somebody who's willing to do whatever is necessary for the cause of the mission or the project and not to do it begrudgingly and, uh, you know, grumbling, but actually do it with joy to say, look, like I'm the jack of all trades here. God has given me that spiritual gifting to serve and to help. And so the gift of helping is um, more coming under a single person and, 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 and actually adding administrative skill and adding capacity and adding you know, um, structure and the things that will help that person in their ministry or the, the life's mission God has called them. And that gift of serving is that general ability to step in and help where things are needed. Uh, next gift, the gift of leading. So again, this is not just people who are outgoing or good salesmen, or this is not just people who are, you know, have the loudest voices or are the most sort of boisterous. This is a spiritual gift. And this gift is the gift to recognize and set goals for the purpose of accomplishing the mission and vision of God. The gift of leadership is the ability to set goals in accordance with God's purpose for the future, all right? And not just to set the goal, not just to set you know, the target, but the ability to communicate those goals in a way that other people understand, in a way that actually call them to rise up and actually stand up and become a part of the mission. This is part of the gift of leadership. And so it, on one sense, it's the ability to set goals for the future. And on the other sense, it's the ability to communicate those goals for the future. And we see this in the life 
of the apostles. We see this in the life of Jesus. We see this all over in the Bible. All right, let's move on to actually the book of Romans um, right now. Romans 12, 3 to 8. So this is again Paul writing, for by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has, has distributed a measure of faith to each one. All right, so we've talked about that gift of faith. Now, that was in last week's message. Now, as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are many in one body in Christ and individually members of one another according to the grace given us. We have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it. We've just talked about that. Uh, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in ex exhortation, giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. So again, that gift of service, we've just talked about that. But the gift of exhortation, here's what this is. Again, this is not just a gift to talk a lot <laughs> or a gift to have the loudest voice. The gift of exhortation is the gift to minister words of comfort, consolation, and counsel. Some people call this the gift of counseling. And it's the special ability that God gives certain people to minister words of comfort, consolation, encouragement, and counsel in such a way that people feel helped and healed. Now, if you would have asked my wife through most of our marriage, she would have said, absolutely, this was not the gift or a gift that I possessed. Because for one reason or another, through most of my life, I have been uh, unable to offer words of encouragement or counsel to most people. It's just, for some reason, I've had a block. God has been working in that area of my life. But that gift of exhortation is the ability to provide counsel, wise counsel that brings comfort and healing to those who have been wounded or are in distress. That's a spiritual gift of exhortation. And some people have that. Some people in this moment uh, or at any given time can recognize when someone is in distress and God gives them a supernatural ability to, with their words, to bring comfort and peace and healing. Some people <laughs> see the person in distress, open their mouth and things get worse. That's the story of most of my life. I just opened my mouth I stick my big foot in it and things get way worse. Uh, but this is a spiritual gift that some of you have that God wants to actually give some of you in our churches, our communities, our neighborhoods need this. They need people who can bring comfort and encouragement and consolation to people. Wise counsel, there's a gift of giving I just want to say here that the gift of giving, this supernatural gift of giving that God has given some of you and you're obedient with it, thank you. We actually could not function as a church without some of you operating in your gifting, but the gift of giving is not giving your tithe or your 10%. The gift of giving is actually the gift to give irrationally above and beyond that cheerfully above and beyond. It's the, the ability to not only give, but to generate or to, to steward greater measures of wealth 
and, and the gift to release that back into the kingdom joyfully and graciously and thankfully. These are the people who recognize that, that what they have and what we have is not our own, but it's all a gift from God. And so there's people with a spiritual gift of giving. And I want to encourage you, uh, if you uh, that we need you and we're thankful for you. There's a gift of mercy. And again, these, these are people that have uh, deep compassion and empathy for the suffering, afflicted, and distressed. The gift of mercy is that, that gift that some people have where the Holy Spirit enables in some people to come alongside the broken, the deeply broken, the deeply wounded, and the deeply distressed. And in coming alongside them, um, God gives these people the special ability to extend the compassion and mercy and empathy of God into their moment of suffering, into their life of suffering, into their life of distress. These are the people that God has gifted and enabled to come alongside people and not just use words, but just through their presence there, bring the presence of God's healing, the presence of his love, the presence of his comfort through genuine empathy and compassion. It's mercy, I, I wanna highlight this to you, it's mercy that motivates God's healing in scripture. It's amazing, just, just do a bit of a study. The different times people cried out to Jesus and said, have mercy on us. It's mercy and faith that work together in that gift of healing. Look at what David says in Psalm 6, verse 2. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me. That gift of mercy is often the gateway to the gift of healing. It's often that open door, that opening uh, in the spiritual realm to the, that gift of healing. Often people cried out to Jesus and said, have mercy on me. Paul said, you know, of one of his understudies who was super duper sick, I think it's in uh, Philippians, Paul said God had mercy on him, Paul, and spared this young man's life because he wouldn't have been able to bear the weight of this young man dying. And so Paul said it was actually an act of God's mercy. And God is calling some of you today. <laughs> Man, in this season where people are so divided, where people are so angry, where, where people are so polarized, where frustrations boil to the surface in milliseconds, where people go from, you know, a simmer to boiling in milliseconds. We need people walking in the gifts of God's mercy who see the brokenness and dysfunction and garbage going on in our society and actually carry the mercy of God into that. Who don't see people for the sin that is present on the exterior, but the heart of God to extend mercy and grace. I wanna close with just a few thoughts and exhortations for you. We need a restart. As we said last week, 
Paul urges us to desire deeply the spiritual gifts. Why? Because when you're desiring the gifts, you're desiring God himself. But I want to just dispel a myth. And here's the myth I want to bust for you. There's a myth, and I don't know where it comes from necessarily, that says when you give your life to Jesus, when you are saved by him, you get all the gifts you will ever get automatically. So there's this myth, this idea that when you become a Christian, when you surrender your life to Jesus, there is a deposit onto your life of all the gifts that you'll ever get automatically. That's wrong. There's no verse indicating this in scripture whatsoever. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, 31 says this, but desire the greater gifts and I will show you an even better way. Paul is actually exhorting them to desire gifts they don't presently have. We find this in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. Desire the gift of prophecy. If you don't have that in your life, desire it. So we don't get an automatic download of all the gifts all at once when we're saved, when we give our life to God. We're told to pursue the gifts that we don't yet have. And it's a command of Paul's through scripture to do that. Um, In 1 Corinthians 14, 13, Paul is uh, commanding people to pray for the gift of interpretation of tongues. So if you don't have it, pray for it. Why? Again, when we desire the gifts, when we pray for them, when we are, are leaning in, pressing in hard, it's not this thing that we're going after. It's the very presence and nature and activity and work of God in and through us. When you desire the gifts, when you desire the gifts that you don't have, you're desiring a greater impartation and measure of God working through you. You're saying, God, uh, you filled me with your Holy Spirit. You've given me everything I need for life and godliness. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is in me, so release it through me. Release it out of my life. That's why Paul says, eagerly desire them. Pray for the ones you don't have. Uh, Pray that God uses you in powerful ways to establish in the here and now the breaking in of his kingdom on the earth. Pray for it. Get on your knees and beg him for it. This is what Paul is saying. Again, how do we then begin to operate in these? We need two things, faith and obedience. Where do you start? You don't have to start by taking a gifts test. Again, they're okay, but that's not the starting point. The starting point is this week, today, in the next few days, when you sense God convicting you about something or stirring you to do something, you do it. You step out in faith, in obedience, into the void, off the ledge. You, 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 you take your foot and you step out over the cliff in faith and obedience. And you say something like, God, I'm not even sure if this is you right now. I don't know if this was the burrito I had for lunch or what's going on. But God, I, wanna, I want you to manifest your presence through me. So I'm going to step out in faith. God, I'm going to follow through with this conviction or this urging, no matter how small it is. 
Don't filter or edit the Holy Spirit's voice in your life. We do this all the time. We get this small, small mustard seed size idea. Go over there and talk to that person or go over there and pay for that person's, you know, gas or their groceries or, you know, go over there and, and ask them if there's anything they need prayer for. Whatever it is inside the church, outside the church, we get this small thing and then we edit it. We start hacking it apart and by the time we're done with it, we move on and we haven't actually stepped out in faith or obedience. So where do we start? Step out in faith and obedience. There's no growth in safety or control. The gifts of the Spirit of God are for the mission of God in your life. You have a divine purpose and he's not only manifested himself in you, he himself is coursing through your veins and through your body uh, energizing you with his gifts and his capacity to actually fulfill his divine purpose for your life. And all that you need to do to start is activate faith and obedience. Do it this week. I dare you to test God with these things, to step out in faith and obedience with the smallest prompting of God and see what happens. Let's pray, Holy Spirit, we just ask again that you would right-size and rightly interpret um, these passages of Scripture for us. Father, I pray that you would just fan into flame for all of us again, a, an eager desire to be filled with the gifts. Father, gifts that we don't yet possess. Father, we ask that, that you would just put a burning desire in our heart, Father, to, to walk in your full capacity for your kingdom to come and your will to be done in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church. And tell us how God has been working in your life lately.